0: This week at church, Pastor Robin McKinley talks about Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. You can join us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for free coffee, free baked goods, a worship service, and a sermon to follow. The church is located by the Coventry Mall on Laurelwood Road. We have been talking about the I Am's of Jesus. So let me just uh, grab here what we need. There we are. And that's what we did at the Kids Crusade uh, the week before last with the I Am's of Jesus. And I'm going to preach. Uh, I think I'm going to do one more, and then we're going to jump into, um, I think we're going to go into Peter and take a look at uh, the books of Peter or James. I forget which one. I, I've, uh, but uh, th- that'll start next week. So starting the I Am's of Jesus, this week we're going to do I Am the Resurrection and the Life. You know, a pastor's son and his friend were playing outside when they found a dead robin. They decided the bird deserved the proper burial, and so they put him in a Kleenex box, dug a hole, and placed their feather friend in the ground. Well, the minister's son was chosen to say a few words. So remembering what his father said at times, like this, the boy proclaimed lousy, not lousy, loudly, (laughs) Glory be to the Father, and unto the Son, and into the Holy Ghost. You'll get that next week, okay? (laughs) All right. Well, maybe some of you feel like that you're in a hole. Or you felt like you've been in a hole. Perhaps you're hurting because someone close to you has recently died. Or maybe a relationship has ruptured and uh, you're filled with a combination of rage and numbness. Well, sooner or later, each of us will experience disappointment or sickness, even death. Because they are common, a common heritage of being a descendant of Adam and Eve. You see, the I am I'd like to focus on today, John 11, and you can turn there if you'd like, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible. John 11 is where we hear about a man named Lazarus who is very sick. His two sisters, Mary and Martha, were worried, so they sent word to Jesus. They were hoping that he would come and that he would heal their brother. Only Jesus' response was much different than what they had expected. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Instead of trying to help, Jesus purposely waited, and in the meantime, Lazarus died. Well, of all the I Am statements, this one here may not be as clear as some of the other ones. While this is a definite statement Jesus is making about himself, being the resurrection and the life, it's not necessarily just a statement of his person, but a reality of his personhood meant to assist us practically in this life. So let's discover in principle what Jesus meant when he declared himself the resurrection and the life. But before we look at these principles, his declaration, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus was making a decree of his power and his authority over both physical and spiritual death. So there's a conversation between Jesus and Martha. We're going to start reading with verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, it's important to understand that Lazarus was not resurrected from the dead. Okay? he was resuscitated he was restored he was raised from the dead what's the difference you see to resurrect is to redeem and to transform into eternity never to die again jesus was resurrected transformed through death into immortality Paul tells us the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says that one day upon Jesus return, we will all be changed. The mortal will put on the immortality. We will be resurrected. Lazarus didn't come forth from the tomb with a new body, never again to die. No, he came with a restored body that would perish again at a later time. Nonetheless, this miracle certainly proves Jesus' authority over life and death. So Jesus intended this miracle to authenticate his claim to be God. After all, I mean, nothing authenticates a divinity like revealing one's authority over death. So we see from their conversation understanding of the final resurrection in which those who have died in christ will be raised into eternity first thessalonians chapter 4 says that not all of us will die but upon the lord's return the resurrection will take place where the flesh will be transformed into incorruptible into an incorruptible body so there's one important thing to note the only way to experience the resurrection that Jesus is talking about is through his death his burial and his resurrection which means while God is concerned about your earthly life and he is it pales in comparison to his current concern for your spiritual life now, we tend, here and now, we tend to focus on the here and now, while Jesus' death gives value and purpose to this life, his purpose for the, incarnate, from, for the incarnation, the cross, and the empty tomb was to rescue us from sin, was to redeem us into an eternal relationship with him. So the question is, if Jesus were to return today, would you go or would you stay? Only you can answer that. But you know, when you think about the human being, mankind, it seems that one could come to the conclusion that many people would prefer experiencing recitation or uh, uh yeah, uh, recitation over uh resurrection how else would you explain man's unending quest to conquer life whether you're talking about the fountain of youth or the holy grail many people put a greater emphasis on this life over eternal life now a fellow by the name of pap Wirt, and i've mentioned him before he's my spiritual father A few years ago, we went to see him. He was on his deathbed. Now keep in mind, this man knew the Bible. This man could preach the Bible. He lived the Bible. He taught me an awful lot as I was growing up in the Lord. He knew what heaven was all about. He knew what was gonna happen in the last days. He knew what was gonna happen when he closed his eyes for the very last time and breathed his last breath. And I remember him laying in that bed saying, I don't want to die. Why? Because this is what we know. We know this for sure. We would rather keep on going in this life. Today, I would think it would be safe to say he's enjoying the presence of the Lord. Amen. You see, according to God, this life is just a pit stop in the scope of his overall plan Jesus is saying that this life is not all there is but it's this life and only this life that we choose our eternal secure our eternal destination it's in this life whether you have ten years or a hundred years there's no other chance after this life to secure Your ultimate destination. So once you breathe your last, that's it. I remember sitting at the bedside of another person. said to me, what must I do to make sure I'm going to get to heaven? A saved man. But he wanted to make sure when he breathed his last that he was going to go into the arms of Jesus. Because this is the only chance we have. It boils down to what you and I do with Jesus. He's done his part. He came, he called, he convicted, and now each of us, we've got to decide how we're going to respond. And this isn't a game because it costs God everything. It cost him his son. And eternity hangs in the balance for each of us. So let's look at some principles found in this text that might assist us in understanding Jesus as our resurrection and our life. We're going to start reading with verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He's talking to his disciples. But I'm going to go there and wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought that he might have meant natural sleep. So then he plainly told them, Lazarus is dead. Well, I'm starting with your notes now, if you're following with your notes. Bad things happen to godly people, but all for the glory of God. Whether your circumstances make you feel like a modern-day Job... Or whether you believe that all hope is gone as in this uh, situation with Lazarus all things work together for the good of God this means God is never caught off guard I remember listening to a tape one time of Mark Lowry Mark Lowry says did it ever did it ever occur to you that nothing has ever occurred to God He might allow the difficulties of living in a depraved and decaying world to run its course in our lives, yet he has promised that he can and will use them for his glory. Whether it's to strengthen us, protect us, motivate us, empower us, James tells us that God provides trials to mature us and to complete us. From David, we learn that sometimes God puts a Saul in our lives. In Exodus, uh, it teaches that God allows difficulty to remind us that he is God and that he's in control. At times, God allows bad things to happen to show us that he is near. But do you know that he's promised I am with you always? Always. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Paul says, I am confident of this one thing. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death is what David tells us in the Psalms. God is always there. Well, there's no exception to this rule, friends. When something bad happens as a result of sin, then it has to be dealt with. And we all understand by now that the wages of sin is death. Meaning just as there was a destructive consequence for Adam and Eve's sin, which caused all mankind, each of us, to become sinners, and therefore condemned in our own trespasses, our own sins, so too there is the law of sin and death. An immediate or an eventual consequence of our sin. When you and I sin, something has to die. Well, Jesus did. We've got to accept that though. You see, there's got to be a consequence to all our sin. And the consequence right now is swallow your pride, say, Lord, I've sinned, forgive me. Man, it can't get any easier than that it can't get any easier than that. Now, we do reap some of the things that we sow and that might come along with some of the sin, but that has nothing to do with whether we're forgiven or not. So, consequences, if a spouse is unfaithful, the marriage is likely to die. If you lie, cheat, and steal, you're likely to get caught and, worse yet, go to jail. If you play with fire, you're likely to get burned. So there are consequences to our actions. Well, let's move on to point two, starting with verse 30. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Well, you might not agree with this at times, but point two is God's timing is perfect. Never early, never late, always on time. We've heard the statement made, but I'm not sure that we we've truly come to grips with it. And more often than not, most of us feel that like Mary and Martha, Lord, if you'd have just been here. I mean, we often wonder where God is when we need Him the most. We often think, God, did did you close the door or something? What's going on? this text serves to remind us that God has perfect timing at the same time God allows us uh, at times to get ahead of him but he's not threatened by that he's not thwarted by our misunderstanding or our lack of patience an example of of us getting ahead of God is when Abraham jumped ahead of God God promised to make him a great nation God promised to give him a son. And when Abraham and Sarah perceived that they're getting old to bear children and in the natural, this just wasn't going to happen, they jumped ahead of God. And now what do you have? You've got two families in the far east or in the Asian area there. And they're button heads with each other all the time. All the time. In this text... Jesus shows up four days. Well, there's four days come in here. I haven't figured that out. It says that Jesus waited two days to get there. Did the message come to him two days later, or earlier than that? Or it took him two days to get there. Did he have these conversations with Mary and Martha for two days before he finally decided? We don't know. There's, there's four days in there, and we know he waited two days to get to town. So we've got four days later, Lazarus is in the tomb. Now, I think, and I'm sure you don't care what I think, but he wanted to make sure everyone understood that Lazarus was good and dead. I mean, one of the sisters says, hey, he stinketh. That's if she spoke in King James. He didn't want anyone to be able to discredit this miracle. I don't know why God appears slow on some things and why he allows or disallows other things other than to say that he's got a bigger plan. But I'm certain that he's never too early and he's never too late. He's always on time. Let's go to point number three. Reading verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So point number three is God is not threatened by our honesty, but he is drawn to our faith. Martha is actually rebuking Jesus right there. When Martha first approached Jesus, she sternly says, Hey, if you'd have come sooner, if you'd have healed him sooner, we wouldn't have had this funeral. We wouldn't have this grave filled. But then she kind of softens her approach by saying, I know you can still do something. You see, God is not distressed nor dismayed when we are honest with him. But let me tell you, I think we get into a real serious altercation when we start blaming him. We, if you start blaming God, that's not being honest with him and telling him, you know, exactly how you feel about it. You're saying how he should have responded. You're telling him what he should have done. The foundations of the world are not sent spiraling out of control because we're honest with God in fact it's when we get honest with ourselves and with God that he's enabled to move with greater freedom in our lives you see it puts us in the right perspective and it's important that when you get honest with God that you also remember that he is God and you're not Keep that in mind. I'll never forget. We were up in New England doing kids' crusades, and I had uh, chipped my teeth as a child, and this dentist said that uh, he could repair them, and he called my wife into the room, and I'm, strapped into the chair i don't know if i strapped in or not it felt like it and he was discussing with her my teeth like i wasn't even in the room and she was talking to him like i wasn't in the room she says you know what i think i think you should just pull those things out and put permanent false teeth in there he says i'm the dentist could i tell you what i think isn't, don't we do that with God? God, this is what I think. Well, he tells you, go ahead and tell me what you think. Just remember, I'm not you and you're not me. Very few of us, if we get upset with our boss, are going to march in and tell him what we think. At least if we want to keep our job, okay? Okay. Just like there's an appropriate way to approach people in authority over us, there's an appropriate way to approach God too. Um, the biggest difference between me and God is God doesn't think He's me. Let that settle in for a moment. Well, it's incredibly important to remember that God is always good, God is not capable of of doing bad and he's always working for his good in our lives which will always turn out for our good the fourth point God loves you so much that his heart weeps when yours is torn he hurts when you hurt a very simple principle though he know- He knows Lazarus is in a better place. He knows what's going on with Lazarus. He's been there. He left there to come here. And now he's getting ready to raise him from the dead, that Mary and Martha are surrounded by people that love him, and he compassionately cares for them. He hurts because they hurt, and in the same way, he hurts when you hurt So he knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that before he ever got to town. In fact, he told his disciples he was going to wake Lazarus up. But he's going to take him from a better place to bring him back to earth. So he says in verse 39, Take away the stone, but Lord, said Martha, his sister of the dead man, By this time there's a bad odor. For he's been there for 40 day, four days Then Jesus said, "Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? The fifth point is, God's will does not require our faith, but our faith requires him. The focus has to be on Jesus. when Jesus finally gets to the tomb, Mary, or Martha's faith is just a little bit wobbly, yet, even still, her lack of faith doesn't prohibit Jesus from working miraculously. It only inhibits her trust and relationship with God. Keep that in mind. When you have lack of faith, that God is going to do what he said he's going to do, it hinders your relationship with him. You see, we should fear the consequences of our unbelief far more than the stench of a dead surrounding a dying entity. Friends, the focus of our faith must never be on the circumstances. And I hear this. And I cringe inside when I hear this. I have faith this, this, this is gonna happen. But the faith is never toward heaven, it's never toward the Lord. It's like, I have faith that that person's gonna be on the train and it's gonna get here at six o'clock. Think about this. You talk to the person on the cell phone before they stepped on the train, they said we're on the train, they said the train's on time. What kind of faith does it take for that? No, it's looking to heaven to have faith. That's where our faith has to be. Not in the circumstances around us. It's the evidence of things hoped for, but not seen. So our focus needs to be on God before us, not the circumstances around us. To say we have faith doesn't mean anything. But to say we have faith in Jesus means everything. And the sixth point this morning is as long as Jesus is around, there's always a chance. And I've read the words, they're right there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's going to be there. Nothing is ever dead. It might be a marriage relationship that's on the brink of death. Or has died but they can be revived by the lord it might be a physical illness that you think there is absolutely no hope the doctors don't know what to do god can heal that it might be a church where people don't see eye to eye or you don't see eye to eye with somebody in the church god will still move we want unity but God will always move.